0: Today's episode is brought to you exclusively by the good folks at Blue Note Therapeutics. Blue Note creates digital therapeutics to help cancer patients cope with the emotional distress of our disease. Check out their premier product, COVID Cancer Care, at covidcancercare.com, and we'll keep you posted on more programs that they're going to be releasing soon. Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. Hey everybody, this is Trevor. Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I have a man, I am so thankful and excited to introduce you to Robert Ramirez. Robert Ramirez, (laughs) we're going to talk about how we met um, a little over a year ago, um, but he is husband to Elaine for 45 years, I believe, right Robert?
1: Yep, yep, (laughs) yep. (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> and you're you're 66 years old, right? right? Uh-huh. So you guys didn't waste any time getting married, and
1: no, they did. That's how I did it back then. <laughs> that's
0: right. So Robert and his amazing wife Elaine live in. You can correct me if I get this wrong, but you're in Petaluma, California. Yeah,
1: that's right, Petaluma, California, yeah. just north north of San
0: Francisco. Mm-hmm. And Robert and Elaine, their son Armand. Died at the age of 37 years old. This was November 11th, 2018. Um, and he did, he died of the same disease that I have, um, metastatic colorectal cancer. And so Robert and H- Elaine have been on the journey of having a son uh, pass away from cancer. And he and Elaine are just they are advocates in this space now of awareness and and love and compassion around cancer and we're going to get into that later as well but i just want to say hi robert thank you so much for taking the time to spend this hour with me on the man up to cancer podcast
1: my pleasure trevor my pleasure
0: so i want to take folks back to november 2019 um i was invited um to Attend a empowered uh, patient leader workshop, which is put on by Colon Town. So Colon Town, I've done shows on them before. Uh, Colon Town exists on Facebook, and it is basically a support group for uh, people impacted by colorectal cancer, um, and it is just an amazing place of of caring people. And so I went out to San Diego to be sort of trained to be you know a leader in that community. And it was mostly patients, so mostly other um, colorectal cancer patients like myself, but then I, I look across the room and I see this just really warm, welcoming couple, and that was Robert and Elaine, and that was just at the one-year mark of the passing of their son, Armand, and it's just a, a, a weekend that I will never forget for, for making friends that are lifelong friends to me, including the Ramirez, uh, family. Um, so yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about that, that weekend. I mean, I, I just remember clearly you were going through so much emotionally with the one year anniversary of the passing of your son, but you were also just so generous and compassion with, with everyone there. Like you definitely weren't locked up in your head or, 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 shying away from any of us uh, we all just kind of embraced each other is that how you remember it as well
1: it's foggy for me (laughs) Uh, No, I I just remember crying for three days pretty much seemed like it but uh, yeah like like now all of a sudden it's weird Um, no it was a great weekend and it was a weekend I got to meet you and and you and I definitely had some chemistry And I think it had to do with you being so close to my age of my son and me looking at you and just knowing, you know, what you were going through. Um, But yeah, and all great people, Manju, Steve Swartz, you know, uh, just all these people that were just sort of warriors and just uh, loving and caring and yet just fighters you know and it just inspired me to, you know uh, and all, all I could think about yeah. was you know we just kind of discovered it on the tail end because my son wasn't quite there yet and he was just starting to get involved in it you know because initially he doesn't want to go in any support groups and he's going to tackle this by himself and uh, you know this kind of stuff and I'm seeing this stuff online and but, uh, but yeah, and it was but it was hard because we wanted to kind of run yeah. away, frankly, but we ran right into the fire. People really supported us for doing that, and that kept us here to this day, you know, to right now.
0: I'm going to ask you about Armand, obviously, but but before we start talking about your son, I do want to ask you about you, like tell for the folks who are listening today, tell us a little bit about your life journey. Where you grew up, what passions have kind of defined you on your path?
1: Well, I actually grew up in Petaluma, right here. Yeah. My entire life, you know, so um, they didn't, didn't go too far. What did your parents <laughs> do? Um, well, my, de- my father was retired Air Force, and my mother was a homemaker. My father actually died when I was 10 yep. years old. So I was, and I had a family of nine in my family. So honestly, oh, it's, gosh. It's, yeah, I honestly didn't get to know my father that well because there were so freaking many of us, and I was like third from the youngest. <laughs> um, he was quite a bit older than my mother. That's fair, he, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a big, uh, big old family—five sisters, three brothers. Um,
0: you got to know your siblings, that's for sure.
1: Oh yeah, in a in a you know three bedroom <laughs> house all crammed together, eleven hundred square feet, which. I'm in real estate now, so I've I've visited that house many times. Not that house, but that model of a home, and sold them, and got how the hell do we fit in this thing? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, it's so tiny, but different. We lived on the street, you know. Everybody was outside back then, you know. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. But no, I just stayed in town. Elaine and I met um, her senior year of high school. I was two years ahead of her, and kind of knew of her with a, because of a younger sister, but never really knew her in high school. Yeah, and then started hanging out with a little bit and then, uh, she trapped me into marriage, you know, a year later, you know,
0: you know, how women yeah, do yeah, yeah, totally. And you start, you just happen to stick around for the next 45 years. Yeah. I just happened to stick <laughs> around. Yeah.
1: Matter of <laughs> fact, she just walked in. She's over there somewhere. Oh, great. Um, my hobbies have always been music. I like to play music. Yep. Um, drums and some percussion and that's helped me along and scuba diving when I get to I like to scuba dive.
0: Great, this is, and, and yeah, tell me a little bit about the music. So your, your email is conga, Bobby, and I've seen some images and some, maybe some videos of you playing the conga drums, yeah, right? Yeah, Is that? Uh...
1: Yeah, it was something, I, I played music in school, you know, I was in a school band, but like in the early 70s, I always I uh, started listening to when Carlos Santana came out started playing in a group called Malo and people like that, Herbie Hancock, and I heard the congas and it was like, what the hell is that drum? And I had to play it. <clears throat> so I started playing it. <laughs> and um, really liked Latin music and uh, played off and on like rock bands. And then about, gosh, 20 years ago, I was really involved with a fundraiser for this kid teen center. And I put together a realtor band. with all real estate agents. And uh, we did benefits. We're still kind of technically together, different members, a few of us from the original. We still play together, not much this last year. But we uh, do that, and I play, uh, most recently I have a salsa band project I'm playing in. We try to meet, it's kind of tough with COVID. Yep. But it's, it's, a, good, it's, it's a good way that can get out of my head.
0: Damn, absolutely, you know? man. So, so the 80s come along, and you and Elaine have your son,
1: 1981. Yeah. We'd actually had it 81, we actually got two more kids that year. Uh, we uh, we basically had a sister passed away, and inherited our nine and thirteen year old niece and nephew. I don't so think we, I knew that. Wow. No, I don't think I ever yeah. discussed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so they were a bit, quite a bit older than Armand. I mean, by thirteen years, his his uh, cousin Frankie and niece and his uh, uh cousin uh, uh Margarita, and uh, so we raised them. So we were basically. Twenty-four years old. I was actually going back to my junior high for um, parent-teacher conferences because both of his parents were dead. Oh, oh and my I, goodness! And I just—I was—I was only not too far out of that school, which was yeah. really weird. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. some my old teachers like, "What are you doing back here?" <laughs> oh man, you know, that's a lot not, for. I'm his guardian. You know, we're his yeah. guardian. Um. So yeah, we uh, had two other kids.
0: Wherever your mind goes with Armand tonight, let's just go there. And just talk to us a little bit about what he was like and, and who he was.
1: Well, <clears throat> Elaine should jump in on this. Um, Armand was a special guy. He was a, well, if I go forward, then back. First of all, he, he, <laughs> yeah. he was a very good student, uh, very good grades, but very much from an early age, it was very philosophical. He graduated UC Santa Barbara, was an English and philosophy degree. But, you know, I mean, he was into philosophers, I mean, reading Nietzsche, Socrates, um, these guys when he was like in junior high school. Wow. And he's like, and I'm thinking like, is my kid weird or what? I mean, what going on? <laughs> you know, but he'd be quoting stuff and talking about these kind of things and but he I thought it would be a fad, but you know he was just into that he was a so if you would talk to him at a very young age, he had this depth of vocabulary and this you know when he played football for four years, I mean he became the guy that gave the look forward to giving the talk before the game, and mm. he'd have something about somehow tie it back into the Romans before they hit the field and what oh, they wow. did and And I mean, his coaches would tell me, you know, like, okay, now time for Armand talk, you know, and all his friends look forward to it. And he would just tell them this esoteric stuff that they thought, what, really? Who, what happened? You know, but that's kind of guy he was. And so he's very well liked. Um, He was also a musician and played keyboards and had a band in high school, which I was very supportive of, of course, (laughs) you know, Um, and. Was a kind of a, a, a guy that didn't have a lot of girlfriends, steady girlfriends, that had a lot of girlfriends. And so he really was able to just not have that, in a sense, being tied down in a way like a lot of kids in high school, they had that girl or that boyfriend, you know, he was yeah. kind of all over. it, So he could kind of move around, you know. Um, and he went to college, went to two years at a local college and then transferred to university he was accepted at university out of high school, but he just said, you know, Dad, I want to still live at home, and I want to play football one more year in junior college, and uh, which he did. And then uh, when he came out of college, which was interesting, he decided that he tells me when he graduates, with was a great grab I was really proud of him. It's amazing to have him. And um, he wants to be a real estate agent. I'm going, what? Oh, no okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going like, so go to college. I mean, you'd be smarter than any agent I'd ever know. You're way too educated. <laughs> I mean, we're just a bunch of salesmen, right? And so anyway, but he started working with us, and okay. And of course, after about a year, he was really more like a technician to us, you know, assistant. And then of course, all my clients loved him immediately. And then of he course. started, yeah. And then he started selling himself, and met his his. uh they never got married. I call him his baby mama, Jennifer, my, my <laughs> granddaughter's you know, mother. Yep. And she was in real estate fairly a couple years in, and he said, Hey, we're gonna team up. So then he left our our group and went and teamed up with them. And uh, but yeah, he was just a very outgoing, bright guy into photography, music. Um, he got involved also, as I did. I said, Hey Ron, get you know, we can go in real estate, just start putting out the community, join something join a club whatever just help somebody out so he immediately did and he got involved with the realtor association which had a fun fundraising arm and uh, but that was kind of him and uh, uh, then of course his daughter our granddaughter which wasn't really planned they had just barely been together a year and his girlfriend got pregnant jennifer and they like made a big decision okay we're gonna do this thank yep. god they did yeah and um they lasted about three years, unfortunately. But she was about ten years older, and it wasn't working out. Yeah, the kid worked out, but you know, right. so they moved on. Yep. and we're we're very close to her still, you know, which is great.
0: Um, that's that's awesome. Um, yeah. So was he that was he that bright like early on? Because when you look at photos or you see videos of Armand, you get a sense that he just always had that kind of almost the wink in his eye like he, he knew things were happening before they even happened um, yeah he's like a sharp guy right <clears throat>
1: oh yeah no it, it was um um
0: <laughs> did you know early on that the, 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 he was like like that
1: oh, oh yeah and his mother did too the mother did too i mean he was yeah. as, i mean uh, we would um you know we had different we had you know as as uh, you know dad's relationship with the son and a mom's relationship you've been a guy you know how this is and uh if you really yeah. want it if you really want it go to your mom <laughs> you know <laughs> You're gonna get it all. You're gonna get it all. Um, but yeah, I th- I just think that uh he just had a deeper understanding. He would he would sometimes he'd overthink. We'd have talks sometime, he would wanna like we'd be out doing something, and then like he'd be kinda quiet and then it'd be like ten thirty at night and he'd go like he wanna talk. It'd be like twelve thirty and Armand, you're killing me. I can't stay up. That's when he wanted to open up and talk about everything in the world, the meaning of life what his what what's his life should be, where's he going? you know this kind of stuff
0: so let's talk about the diagnosis so what yeah what what led to it and um and what do you recall from that that point in the journey
1: primarily, his diagnosis was going on for about three months prior. And I was noticing just a lot of change because by that time he was in the business, had left real estate, but was doing loans. And he was actually doing a lot of loans for clients of mine for buying a yep. home. Yep. And, and I'd notice him getting a little more irritable, um, tired. And because he, because we would have mean a lot, we'd pick up from school, they'd come home from work, came home later, we'd have yeah. dinner, that kind of thing. And then they'd take off their place. And, um. He had this pain, basically trying to about, like, like trying to use, go to the bathroom, couldn't go, or he, or constant urges to go to the bathroom. Like he had to like take a number two. He'd go mm-hmm. in, nothing, nothing. Call mm-hmm. the doctor, you know, drink more liquids, you need more fiber, you got a hemorrhoid, blah, 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 blah. Right? And this went on for quite a while and then finally he went in for a checkup and this one doctor said, God, you've been complaining about this for a while. This is not right. Mm. And it wasn't his regular doctor, thank God, because they're all passing him off as, you know, you're too young. Well, it wouldn't be cancer, right? And he was just saying, this doesn't feel right. I mean, I don't think it's a freaking hemorrhoid. This is something serious. So the doctor basically did an exam and said, hey, you need an MRI. And so uh, I remember him coming that, that, that day, March 30th, 2017, coming to my office at 11 o'clock in the morning and saying, Dad, with Mina, I just went to the doctor and he says, I need to go down today and get an MRI. And he said, can you go with me? I said, yeah. So he found me and his mom because Delaney was doing something. We went down there and at the end of the day, yeah, they saw something there. It was clearly a mass. Yeah. And by Monday, we knew for sure. You know, they did a biopsy that he was stage three already. Right. And uh, so, yeah, it was freaking a horror day. You know, he, you know that day you find out, you know, you can't, Right.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, and I remember, I guess from, from, I remember making that call to my dad. Well, I, I don't really, cause I was in shock and, and it was like, you're, you're in shock and you don't even know you're kind of floating in your own body. But I vaguely remember having, you know, telling my dad, Hey, I, I have cancer. Like I have a tumor and I have cancer. And so I've been on that conversation from the other end that you were on. And there's, yeah, it's hard to describe. Um. and that's when so yeah that's when it in, in some ways that's when it life as you knew it ends and mm-hmm. then life life as you're going to know it begins
1: Mhm. no it is definitely a day in my memory I'll never yeah you know you just don't forget that and you know like yourself you know when you someone tells you that I don't even you know and I don't know really what was in its mind but I know you do right you
0: know? Yeah.
1: The was, uh, was probably the first one. Well,
0: yeah, it's, it's, yeah, absolutely. The shock, the fear, but, and and then also just not wanting to, <laughs> definitely not wanting to burden, you know, your relatives or your family members. Like, man, the, like, I guess as the patient, like you don't want to go through this shit, but you know that your family doesn't deserve to go through this. So it's really, I think it's, yeah, it's just very hard to tell everyone. Um, mm-hmm. um was there any context at all in your family for early onset cancer or any, any clues that anyone needed to be concerned about this for a guy, his age, 37.
1: And that, no, there wasn't, there wasn't Trevor. And that was so frustrating. I had, I mean, I mm. had a um, grandmother die from lung cancer. My mother at an 89 had pancreatic cancer. Um, my father, when he passed away, he had a lot of complications, but he, he had sort of a really rough medical history prior to that, but he basically died of cirrhosis. The liver, I think, was a final diagnosis, but he had had a stroke, yeah. you know, some various things. Uh, but he was still 65 years old when yeah. he died. Yeah. Um, so, no, and um, nothing. This was like
0: and I feel the frustration because, right, if there had been any warning signs or flags that had come up, clearly you would have, you guys would have done something about it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I honestly didn't even know what colorectal cancer was. Patel didn't really. I think I, I, think I might have Same, heard the yeah. term, but yep. I don't know what it was. I never even didn't see. My, I would think like breast cancer or lung cancer. I just never even knew that was a thing. Really, I guess. And it is. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, right. So the diagnosis hits very serious situation and sadly, unfortunately for your family, things happened pretty quickly in terms mm-hmm. of progression and then t- like I, I it was within the next eight months that he had passed, right? Seven and a half. Yeah, so talk to me about that period of your lives as a family.
1: Well, initially like you said, you're in shock, and initially, you know, we were we were we were all immediately like, okay, we're going to beat this. This, you know, you're and went to his first oncologist, and and I remember her telling Elaine because we were pretty shocked, and she was really emotional. I just can imagine, and 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 the oncologist initially was pretty upbeat, like, your son's young, you're you're not going to, he's young, you know, and so we started all doing some research and I'm not exactly sure when we discovered colon town, but I know that early on initially Armand didn't want to do chemo. He was convinced he was going to do this, you know, alternative holistic. And so we kind of fought the diagnosis. Yeah. We, we went to get a second opinion. The doctor in the second opinion was like, I mean, the oncologist journey is can be brutal. I mean, the, um, this guy was recommended to us in the same Kaiser system. Um, and he basically told our mom in just a few minutes, like, I mean, just didn't pull any punches. Like, oh, yeah, you got this thing. It's not curable. It's terminal. You know, you got to do this chemo right now. You know, j- you know, you got seven months to two years. It, it was like. Wow. It was like it was like this boom, boom, boom. Like, holy shit, dude. You know, and her mom was like, oh, so we immediately <laughs> changed him because <laughs> like this guy was like a total downer. Like he gave like no hope whatsoever. Yep. yep. Um, and so we ended up going back to the original one. Uh, and we, by that time, he decided we had met with him with the radi- uh, uh, radiologist to talk about radiation therapy because that was their recommendation to do that for six weeks and then do chemo. And during that process he was investigating we did some different things that took him to some where we did like the uh, vitamin C infusions mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. different things like this um, Constantly searching like that guy you've seen that guy what's his name um who always wants to promote like eating carrots and'll get yep. cancer free
0: <laughs> yeah I'm not gonna <laughs> yeah okay. I'm not gonna repeat it, but I know who you're talking about
1: yeah okay and uh, so so basically. Literally, a, we went in to get it checked up. It was a month later, literally, and went to get checked up to get basically blood work done just before radiation to start, a week before. And it was, at, it was in Santa Rosa with that other oncologist because that's where we was to do the, the – um, and he said, look, I just want to do a, a scan just for the heck of it, get a baseline. Within a month, he was 3B. And the guy said, look, you're 3B now. You have got to start chemo right now. Mm -hmm. We're going to skip the radiation and start it right now. And that's when it started. So that was like scary as hell. Meanwhile, during this, Armand is still experienced a ton of pain from this tumor. And we talked from day one, is there surgery possible? And they were saying, no, we don't do surgery. You've got to shrink the tumor. His tumor was three centimeters, which is not enormous. But they insisted, you've got to do the... the, um, uh, radiation before we'll do the chemo. and But then we skipped that because he advanced so quickly. Then he got a blockage, had to go into the hospital. They had to do an ostomy bag. That delayed chemo because he had to recover. He just kept having things like that, Trevor. just Everything kept getting in his way. Um, so he constantly, through his entire time, the seven months, he still had that pain he was dealing with in his rectum on top of all the other stuff because he had these things happen where they couldn't do surgery now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, um, I think the thing that, a couple of things for me as a dad, um, you know, you, you're you constantly positive with your son because I would just could not, fathomed the idea, and we used to have this code word, Elaine and him had worked up, was, they'd say things like, well, now, if something bad happens, Mom, we should do this. And that was kind of our mom saying, well, Mom, if I did die, what about this, you know? I could yeah. never do that with them. And it's my, my biggest regret. Yeah. Is that, I think, and I think about this for every dad... Because we're gonna be, you know, the strong one and, and like like you like the whole premise of Man oh. Up is that we are not that strong, especially alone, we need support. Is that our mom tried to talk to me a few times about like well dad, you know, if this happens, you need to understand this could happen. And and I was like always like, No, it ain't gonna happen. <sighs> but he had that but that was him, I know now that was him trying to have that talk with me. Right. And I didn't have the talk. One of my biggest regrets, not really knowing, you know, to this day, how he was looking at what death looked like to him. We never had the talk. I regret that. You don't, yeah. and I think for any dad, you can only tell a dad, you don't, want to regret, you don't want to have that regret. You want to be able to console and say, talk openly. Because, you know, you, we talk about death all the time when we're not sick, right? Oh, what happens right. after you die? And you, we don't because we were, you know, we're not we have any risks there. We're fine, but then it was like faced with, well, maybe you could. And we never had that one. Probably my biggest thing, you know, for me personally.
0: I hear you and a hundred percent respect that, and in no way would ever want to challenge how you feel about that. But my one of my responses here is that I kind of just want to come out there and give you a, a huge hug and tell you that you were being a dad you know you were being you and you were being the best dad that you could be at the time and he knew that I'm sure he knew that so I hope that yeah like again I don't that's your process and your emotions but I just want you to know that you were being a dad and, and and also adjusting to these roles of like you were a dad for 37 years with a son who was not sick and then all of a sudden your son gets sick and you've, you you need to, all of a sudden you as the dad, you're having to play these roles that are completely unfamiliar. And at the same time, you're digesting this complete overwhelm of information and trying to make decisions with him. Like it's unfathomable. And, and I can't overestimate this to the people listening, like how much emotionally and intellectually you need to absorb when you get hit as a family with a cancer diagnosis. It is unfathomable. It's overwhelming, and it is whew, there's always going to be some regrets because it's impossible to navigate so anyways, thank you for putting up with my
1: <laughs> no 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 it's 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 you know it's it's just like Joe and I were talking about this today just it was just sort of perfect that it did that we were talking now it allowed me a chance to yeah sort of process and also understand that you know. You don't get you know, you don't get a second chance at being a caregiver sometimes. (laughs) You know, there's no redo. There's no like, hey, I don't like the way that went. Can we do that again? Yeah. You know? (laughs) Um, and so it's which is probably why the reason why Elaine and I here is trying to figure out what can we give back to give something to help shine a light on that on that pathway to people because we don't you don't no one wants to ever be there. And there's no training manual and your oncologists unfortunately are not there because they're overwhelmed. They can't really tell you and sit there like a psychologist or something. It's just, and so the colon towns, the groups, man up to cancer, constantly reading about these guys, you know, everybody and what they're doing. I I just want to, whatever I can do, but I try to not, I don't want to be a downer either, (laughs) but I, but, um, you know, as a dad, whatever if you got a dad out there, connect. And dad, you need to connect. You know, it's the best thing you can do. And you're a dad too. You know, and your kids are amazing. I've heard them on the show multiple <laughs> times. You know. Thank you. You guys are definitely on the same page.
0: I want to I wanna to talk to you about grieving.
1: Okay. A little bit of that.
0: (laughs) Does it, so our mom passed away and, Mm -hmm. and then you go into this next, so you had the before cancer then you Mm -hmm. have the cancer and then you have the, after your son's passing Mm -hmm. and, and you know, unimaginable pain and grief. Can you talk about where that process started? Where it is now, how it might have changed, if it doesn 't change, if you can put it in a box like how do how do you describe the grief that you 've faced as a father
1: How do you describe it well i, I i'd say i, I did a, I, I, I do a lot of journaling, I did a lot of reading the first year, hmm. I did a lot of the colon town beyond the threshold. it sucks it it as a dad, you just go back to the thing I said earlier. It's like it's it's things are supposed to happen a certain way in order. He was supposed to bury me. Okay, that's that's the first checkbox, right? I'm not supposed to bury him. Okay, if he went to war, you could accept like he's in a war, he's a soldier. Still not good, but you could you know, but you know he just wasn't supposed to happen. It was out of order. Things are out of order, and for Elaine, it was devastating you know it's it's you 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 have a plan as a parent you think about growing old you think about the grandkids you think about you know your son growing becoming a man getting into his own all that stuff you know is gone it just every every, every image every sort of fantasy whatever to call it it's just gone and so now you have to figure out and it's taken I'm still in it you know yeah. it's 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 trying to find, you know, I went, I went to a therapy, Had a, was lucky to get a really good therapist early on with hospice, a woman who had actually lost her baby uh, that was three months old. This is like 10 years ago. But her and I just clicked. She was really good. She explained to me how quickly, she explained to me all the myths about grief and how that doesn't rule true. Just forget all those books. It doesn't work. You're going to be here For a long time, yeah, a long time, and be okay with that. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't people tell you to move on, get over it, (laughs) change friends? (laughs) (laughs) You know, just change friends. You know, I met and they. It's happened a lot. Like people, one one person tell me, well, well, this is just life now. It's like a new journey. Really, (laughs) I'm not going to Cancun. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) this is this is not. But the church, you know, uh. but the stuff people come up with, you know, um, and it is just a daily thing for me to try to remember that I'm lucky to be alive and to be thankful for that because I know Armand would want to be alive, you know, um, so f- for me, I can't go down that rabbit hole for very long because that would be, to me, it's, it's sort of like a slap in the face to him, you know, because of how hard and what he went through, you know, to try to be here. Um, and I watch people on Colontown, especially how far, how, how hard they fight, and go, oh, shit. you got nothing to be, you, you need to be strong with them. You need to understand and look at being grateful. Just and So I don't know what else, it's, oh, those are all cliche things. Doesn't really describe what what it's really like,
0: but um, I'd I'd argue with that. <clears throat> I, th- I think it's beautifully what you have just said is is beautifully said, and, and and talking about things being out of order, like that this is not right, that resonates with me absolutely, um, and a lot of us who are out here and listening to this and will totally resonate with that, um, and it was interesting to hear you talk about that Armand wouldn't want you to be sad. I actually clipped. I remember when you posted this, um, you posted on Facebook Thanksgiving 2019, right after we met in oh. San Diego, you, you posted, um, and I'll just read a snippet of it. Okay. Um, hmm. What I've learned and now truly believe is that he does not want me to be sad every day and all day. I remember hating it when people would tell me, Armand wouldn't want you to be sad. It really pissed me off, but they were, (laughs) but they were right. It just was too early for them to be giving me that advice. That's a powerful piece of writing by you. And then you said, I believe Armand allows me a certain amount of time each day for my grief. And then he expects me to be grateful for being alive. I also have a responsibility to my wife and granddaughter and others who love and need me in their lives I learned this past year that grief comes in waves and everyone, everyone lives with some form of grief. I need to be aware and compassionate with them. And I clipped that out and I've had it near my desk because it's some of the best wisdom that I've ever heard or read about when it comes to that coping with grief. So thank you for putting that out in the world. And I wanted to read it to you tonight because, and, it, and so you just basically said that you're still there in that place.
1: God, I get, I
0: wrote that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right.
0: Wow. as a wise word. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, yeah, but, I'm still but, there, yeah. but that, that point about it being too early, that just points to the, it points to the, the phases that you go through. Like, and not that you're not still p- pissed off sometimes. Like I'm sure that you are, but probably not as much as right close to it. Maybe.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you have to, it's, it's um, you know, you, you. I mean, for the first year, I honestly believed that if I meditated enough, he, that I, I used to imagine him walking through the door. Right. Cause like, oh, shit, where you been? I'm glad you're, you know, you know things, like that, things like that. But at some point, you know, when you, when, you, when you visit your son's grave enough times, and you look at it, and in my case, he has my name. He's a junior, which is sometimes really eerie. <laughs> I'm looking down and I'm seeing my name, you know. Yeah. Um, and, but at some point you just go, and and then I look and sometimes Mina, his daughter, for instance, she, you know, she seems to really get it. And they're so resilient. Mm. You know, I, it's it me sometimes how resilient she is that I almost have to like, I try to check in with her to make sure like, Elaine does a better job, of it, I think, to make sure she's not stuffing it somehow and we're missing something, maybe. Trying to really give her a space to deal with her grief. Um, but, I don't
0: know. Yeah, that, and then I your second it. point it, 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 and that I'll circle back on is that there's no there's no end here. There's no finish line. Like It's not like Robert and Elaine all of a sudden have reached the, okay, we've grieved now. Oh, and we're good. (laughs) I mean, this is part of your identity now.
1: It is. And uh, it is. And and, uh, we kind of make it um, (laughs) in a weird sort of way. We don't, we make it a little harder on ourselves by being where we're at. But we believe it's the right thing to do, being with Town, I mean, there's no doubt. There's no doubt being in Town every day. Every day, I look at Facebook posts about cancer on my Facebook page. Every day. You know yeah and, so tell, um, t-
0: tell <laughs> p- give people the uh, for you know folks who are just getting to meet you tell them tell them what you mean about your connection with Town and the the stuff that you guys are doing
1: Well the stuff I would say is more Elaine now I, mean, yep. I read and I support her but like Elaine does the onboarding every day basically with, where she's a clinical trial specialist basically that's what she's they've created
0: this position so she's in Colon Town, in the in the yeah. facebook groups and and welcoming people to the clinical trial um, conversations and helping them answer their questions and and uh, exactly
1: she's she's basically you know looking at their you know pathology she's trying to find out if they're msi high mm-hmm. so all these basically looking through that to, to direct them <clears throat> where they might fit in what group and you know she's talking with people now all over the world and Depending on the person, some people are just, they really get it. And they've got, you can see they immediately have some support there, someone helping them. Or they just are clueless and they're just lost. And it's a lot of times, it's now, unfortunately, we have a lot of it our parents. Because like, as we talked earlier, there are these young people that are in their 30s and 20s and early yeah. 40s. And sometimes, you know... um. I can't explain in detail what she does because I don't totally understand it, Yeah. yeah. but, but I look at her list. I mean, we were, she was looking the other night and she had figured in the last year and a half she had onboarded like 500 people.
0: And you, and you're, and you are helping people as well. I know that you're helping people with awareness and, and, and also just on the personal level, I know that you have people around you in your circles that because of your experience with your son and going through this cancer, that you are in a position, a unique position to give love and help um, and, oh, whatever's, yeah, whenever, and whatever's needed.
1: Yeah, whenever I can, because I cause I, cause I, tend to work with a lot of younger people and people in my office were like a newer mom and some of them, they were like, what happened? How, what do we do? You know, and I started I tell them about it, you know, tell them, you know, signs to look for. I talked to him about colonoscopies, which most of them are like, oh, I don't want one of those. I said, well, no, you need to get one. You're 40 <laughs> years old. It's not that big a deal. Don't be a baby. You could drink some crappy thing for a day. I'm telling you, the, the flip side, drink the fluid. You don't want to go the other way. Amen.
0: <clears throat> Amen, <clears throat> brother. You, you nailed it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Um, but yeah, whenever I can, um, definitely. And then donating money whenever I can. It's just...
0: Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's you guys it's are just, giver, you guys are givers for sure, and and and. Anyways, uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate both of you for what you're giving to the community, and and everybody loves you guys. You mentioned you. I think you touched on this a little bit, but are there some specific coping or healing methods that? Have been helpful to you. I'm imagining music is going to be on this list, but in, in your journey that you might share with some out there listening to this?
1: Um, well, be careful. Be careful of things like, you know, um, alcohol. It, there's a yeah. place for that. And, you know, medicinals. I, I think they definitely have a place that will help. Yep. Um, uh, I probably. I do some sort of a meditation off my iPhone at night. I've done that for now. I started with healing meditation with Armand because I was convinced that if I found these things, if you, this healing light, and I did that nonstop through the entire time, Um, and I still do that, that helps. Um, Keeping busy, forcing myself to keep busy. It's, let's face it, distracting myself, and I know when I'm doing it, because, um, yeah, otherwise you'll just turn into a blob yeah. of depression, and i I forced myself to try and still get a hold of my friends it's it's been this it's it's tricky because this last year was just like you know got just got through two thousand and nineteen was feeling a little better, and then wham, pandemic hits now I can't do all the things, I can't visit anybody, you can't now you're really going into isolation um and for me, because I'm a pretty outgoing person generally, yeah. so um, that bad part. So, trying to force yourself to take, stay connected, make that phone call, if you or text whatever it is to people you would normally talk to, just try to try to keep as much of a normal self what it, what it used to look like to some degree. That's helped me. Um, and we just did a being here at the ranch needs a lot of work. It's an older house, so that's been helpful you know um but yeah i don't that's great i'm not a i'm not a i don't go to church a particular organized church so i can't say i do that but i think if that works for you do it you know
0: yep yeah no all excellent advice um another thing that strikes me about you is you talk about um Your relationship with Armand, like the relationship with a loved one, whether it's a son or brother or father, it doesn't end when that person leaves this physical body on this earth. Like you still have a relationship with your son. Can you talk about about that? Because I, I think that can. I'm not, man. It's it's a tough subject to talk about, right? But I think that that can give some parents who who are losing a child. Uh, some insight into um, that that relationship is just eternal.
1: Well, I think for me, one of the things that I did is by journaling. That was my way, honestly, of talking. My journals yeah. are my journals. Always was, dear son, dear Armand, Did this? What's going on? Sorry, I'm doing that. Yeah, yeah, I'm, you know, whatever. I would do my talking through the through my writing, and it will. It was. It really helped me um, and and then just trying to you know I, I try to I try to for me I communicate with him by trying to do things trying to find out what he was interested in things, and kind of like like I was trying to dig into off and I' dig into his philosophy books, which is hard for me to read because <laughs> I say that, I can sit I figure out, okay, I'm, if I read this, I kind of get you know, I'm gonna get in his head, obviously if he read this. This is what he would think about. Mm. So it was a way for me to feel like closer, closer to him. You know, we were lucky, and it's your generation with the iPhone. You have tons of videos, tons of this. We have all this stuff, you know. And I, I'll go back, I can look, I have, I have all these computers. I had to go through them. And mm. he was really into photography, and he did a lot of uh, uh, GoPro stuff. He had a YouTube channel that he put up, and he has quite a few, and he's all on motorcycles repair. So I could watch him telling somebody how to change the oil on his BMW. There he is. It's taken a while to to get there to watch it. And Elaine's just starting to be able to, but he's alive.
0: He's right there.
1: I feel thankful I have that. You know, just things like that keep him in my life.
0: And obviously there is your amazing granddaughter that you get to spend so much time with. I mean, Armand is there with you through her.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And we do. And, um, yeah, thank God for, thank God for that. There's, there's no doubt about it. Um, I don't even know how to put her into words. She's her dad's son. She's her dad's daughter. And, um, you know, even though, um, you know, it, it's a, it, that I will say is a delicate walk because she's doing well, but then I'll want to talk about dad. You know, I I want her to know that I haven't forgotten. Right. And it's okay for her, you know. And so it's a delicate walk. Yeah. You know, because I don't want to to bring, because she's, because I don't, because she's processing things differently. You know, I asked her once about it a while ago Mm. and I said, so how do you feel? Well, you know, this was like a year and a half ago. She said, well, you know, you know, Papa, all things happen for a reason. So I guess that's what it's supposed to be. Hmm. And I was like, well, I'm thinking in my head, well, I wish I could believe that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, she's like telling me, going, but I don't dare argue with that. Like she's, that seemed to be work for her. Yeah. You know, I don't, I think they have more power than I re- Maybe they have more power than we realize.
0: Oh man. I can't, yeah. And I can't even imagine. Cause it's like you're trying to just trust your gut, but then there's probably all kinds of information about how to communicate with with people of that age around this and like mm-hmm. but they don't know you know her I mean, she's 13 and, like you
1: yeah. one of your daughters right there 13 yeah you know, yeah oh yeah
0: younger. and 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 they do process differently mm-hmm. right and and i've had to learn that as well um so it can be yeah it can yeah, be but tricky she's
1: here, <laughs> she, but she's here a lot I and mean, we've done a lot of changes to the house and like when i was like we had to sell her dad's car because they really didn't need it. You know, she was like, well, why are we selling it? Well, honey, we don't, you know, you're not old enough to drive. You know, as things, it was tough because as things disappeared that he had. Right. I knew it was affecting her. It was all the things that needed to be done. And so it was even hard for me, like, you know, so I'll like bring her stuff. Like whenever I find something, we love his clothes deal, I'll pick something out and I'll say, hey, here's your dad's switcher. This was his, from his college. You know, now she wear, she she won't take it off. Yeah. You know, she won't take it off to wash it.
0: Thank you for opening up your heart and talking about this journey, um, and just your honesty. I think that this episode is going to. I hope it reaches the people. I always say with the man up to cancer stuff. You you do these interviews or you write these blogs, you, you do this content, and the hope and the 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 real hope is that it reaches that handful of people maybe even just one person maybe even just one person out there who is in a place of despair or a place of loneliness and they hear you talking about you know whether it's me being a patient or you being a father they hear us and they don't feel alone and they feel a sense of communion so i want to thank you for that
1: oh you're welcome and thank you for letting me do this
0: Thanks for listening to the man up to cancer podcast. If you want to support our mission, visit patreoncom backslash man up to cancer. Monthly subscriptions start at five bucks, less than a single cup of coffee at some establishments. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack doors are always open. Big thanks again to blue note therapeutics for sponsoring today's podcast. Blue Note creates digital therapeutics to help cancer patients cope with the emotional distress of our disease. Check out their premier product, COVID Cancer Care, at covidcancercare.com.